This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. More bombshell news on Friday from the New York Times that former President Donald J. Trump pressed top Justice Department officials late last year to declare that the election was corrupt, even though they had found no instances of widespread fraud, so that he and his allies in Congress could stage a fucking coup. This was an attempted coup, an attempt to steal an election and weaponizing the Justice Department in the process. That's both illegal and pretty much the most un-American thing you can come up with in your wild imagination. The report from the Times, Katie Benner, is based upon contemporaneous notes from Richard P. Donahue taken during a phone call on December 27th as Trump pushed acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen to intercede on his behalf in a futile effort to stay in power. Mr. Donahue warned that the department had no power to change the outcome of the election. Mr. Trump replied that he did not expect that, according to notes Donahue took memorializing the conversation. Just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me, Donahue wrote in summarizing Trump's response. More reaction tonight to those stunning new details on just how the twice-impeached former president tried to overturn an election. According to the Times, Trump did not name the lawmakers, but at other points during the call, he mentioned Representative Jim Jordan, whom he described as a fighter. Representative Scott Perry, who at the time promoted the idea that the election was stolen from the former president, and Senator Ron Johnson, whom Mr. Trump praised for getting to the bottom of things. Just give me that talking point and I'll get my folks to go with it. And who are the folks? This is the first fruit of what's going to be a very large harvest from the Department of Justice opinion two days ago saying there's no executive privilege. They are now going to call to testify Richard Donahue, who wants to have a future in this town. He's not a Trump crazy, even though he's very conservative, to testify even for him. It was too hot to write down. He just put congressional colleagues. Question one from someone like Raskin is going to be, who exactly is it? And he has no basis for not answering. The executive privilege cloak has been taken away. So this is going to be amplified, and there's a lot more where this came from. Mind you, all three of these guys are fucking nutbags of the highest order. Can you imagine a night out to the Elks Lodge with these three? I'd rather stay under home confinement or watch Donald cheat a Monopoly and his jockeys. At the time, Jim Jordan can't quite remember whether he didn't talk to the president Uh, or did talk to the president during that time, but he's going to have to refresh his memory. And the Justice Department has made clear that executive privilege is not going to be available uh, in many of these cases. So we are witnessing the unraveling of the cover-up of the worst insurrection since the Civil War in the history of this country. The Justice Department provided Mr. Donahue's notes to the House Oversight and Reform Committee, which is investigating the Trump administration's efforts to unlawfully reverse the election results. These handwritten notes show that President Trump directly instructed our nation's top law enforcement agency to take steps to overturn a free and fair election in the final days of his presidency. Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, Democrat of New York and chairwoman of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, said in a statement. As you well know, 
the Justice Department never wants to release that information. There's always the specter of future administrations reaching back in time and revealing sensitive conversations that can hold people up to scrutiny that no executive branch wants. The Justice Department has told Congress and others that they're doing this because of very special circumstances, because of the context of the investigations. They look at whether or not the president was really trying to subvert the democratic process, but this is so unusual. The notes taken and preserved by Donahue are a remarkable portrait of a determined, duplicitous, and fucking delusional president firing on all evil cylinders, trying to overturn the election by any means necessary. Why this material was not present at Trump's impeachment is criminal in itself. These contemporary notes by the acting assistant attorney general's deputy are compelling evidence that the president was committing several different crimes. He was violating uh, crimes relating to stealing elections, crimes relating to pressuring uh, government officials to engage in political activity, violations of 18 U.S. Code Section 610, violations of 18 U.S. Code Section 2383. I could recite a lot of them, but the point would really be not to simply enumerate a laundry list of crimes, but to say that we now know from first-hand evidence with the cooperation of the new Justice Department that is finally finding its sea legs that the president was engaged in an ongoing conspiracy to overturn the results of a free and fair election. It was the lead up to the insurrection. The, it puts the insurrection in context. Yeah. It shows what his motives were in rallying uh, people in this violent mob to sack the Congress. It was all part of a plan to say, I don't care if there was no real corruption, just say there was, say the election was stolen, yeah. and then turn it over to me. Mr. Trump's conversation with Mr. Rosen and Mr. Donahue reflected his single-minded focus on overturning the election results. At one point, Trump claimed voter fraud in Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Arizona, which he called corrupted elections. Mr. Donahue pushed back. Much of the information you're getting is false, Mr. Donahue said, adding that the department had conducted dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews, and had not found evidence to support his claims. We look at allegations, but they don't pan out, the officials told Mr. Trump, according to the notes. The people saying that the election isn't corrupt are corrupt, Mr. Trump told the officials, adding that they needed to act. Not much time left. The more desperate, more extreme, and more uh, untethered uh, Donald Trump trying to uh, cheat, or in this case, overturn the election. The officials also told Trump that the Justice Department had no evidence to support a lawsuit regarding the election results. We are not in a position based on the evidence, they said. We can only act on the actual evidence developed. These notes, they're not audio, they're not video, but they are bigger than the smoking gun tape in Watergate that ended Nixon's presidency. The only thing that's different now is that back then Republicans, including Barry Goldwater, looked at what Nixon did and said, we can't go along with this partisanship aside. You know, this is, this is a danger to the country, to our democratic foundation. Now you have a Republican Party that says to hell with all that. 
The only thing that matters is power and Trump, and Trump is power and Trump is our power. And therefore, you know, you know, the story just came out, but where, where are the Republicans saying enough already? They went along with January 6th, they're gonna go along with this, and that's the big difference between Watergate and now. According to the Times, Trump castigated the officials, saying that thousands of people called their local U.S. attorney's offices to complain about the election and that nobody trusts the FBI. He said that people are angry, blaming DOJ for inaction. You guys may not be following the internet the way I do, Trump said, sounding like your insane IT guy and not the fucking president of the United States. Well, you'll remember, Chris, that there was a lot of internet chatter about storming the Capitol right in the lead up through January 6th. And one of the issues in impeachment, too, was how much did Donald Trump know? Well, here he is admitting that he reads the internet. Two days after the phone call with Trump, Donahue took notes of a meeting to discuss a conspiracy theory known as Italygate, which asserts without evidence that people in Italy use military technology to remotely tamper with voting machines in the United States. Please, please, please release those next. This is serious, and it's not going to end well uh, for Donald Trump. Although, uh, you know, he's he's squeezed out of all kinds of uh, all kinds of fixes before, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate him. He's a very slippery eel. The GOP has contorted itself into a grotesque array of positions to avoid facing culpability for January sixth. But those notes confirm the involvement of Jim Jordan and others in the president's plans. How those plans connect with January 6th and who was involved should be of paramount importance to the commission. This should necessitate subpoenas to Jordan as well as the former president. Well, look, I, I, I didn't do anything. I have nothing, to, nothing uh, uh, to hide. I'll be happy to talk to whoever wants to talk. The House Select Committee's January 6th commission is doing the crucial job of inserting the foundation of truth into the official record as the GOP does everything in its power to whitewash that narrative with fucking bullshit, false equivalencies, and outright fucking lies. Unfortunately for them, the testimony of those four officers proved far too powerful and moving for those lies to continue. I'm representative of most of uh, my Democratic colleagues and even some Republican colleagues, which is I just can't take the lying anymore. And I don't want to be party to propaganda and disinformation and the suppression of the truth. Sergeant Cannell called the January 6th insurrection a treasonous act and expressed frustration that Republican lawmakers lined up to support officers when they were putting down Black Lives Matter protests in Washington, D.C. last summer, but disappeared when the perpetrators of violence were fellow Republicans. Wasn't the lowest West terrorists fighting alongside these officers? And all of them, all of them were telling us, Trump, send us. Nobody else, there was nobody else, it was not Antifa, it was not Black Lives Matters, it was not the FBI, it was his supporter that he sent them over to the Capitol that day. And now for the main event.
My next guest on Mea Culpa is Harry Littman, a former U.S. attorney and deputy assistant attorney general. Littman is the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times opinion page and professor of constitutional law at UCLA and UCSD. He can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Nowadays, Littman is the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast, which is a must-listen for its sharp analysis of the myriad of corruptions, crimes, and moral failures of the Trump era. He joins me today on Mea Culpa as we examine the fallout from the January 6th commission and get in-depth about Tom Barrick and the GOP's politicization of COVID-19. So let's listen now to that conversation. Harry. Having watched the testimony of those four police officers before the January 6th commission, how would you respond to the GOP's claim that this is a sham process? I personally found it sickening, frankly, but curious how you think their dismissive and defiant posture will play over the coming months as people remember this committee. Yeah, uh, so I'll try to separate out my feeling and how I think it will play, because those two have separated out in the past. You know, I think sickening is not too strong um, a word. It couldn't have been a stronger contrast between the sort of ethos of duty and sacrifice, and I mean tangible sacrifice, up to and including death of the um, law enforcement witnesses and the crassness and the nastiness of the GOP claims. And I think it's just, uh, you know, it's the rule of holes. Uh, When you're in a hole, stop digging, but they can't stop digging. So when you're committed, I, I just think it comes with the territory of being committed to the big lie. We've seen it almost as an MO in different settings from the GOP these last couple years, um, where your response is fury and defiance. Because think about it, if you're really pretending, and of course they're pretending, that the whole thing has been made up, how would you respond? I mean, imagine for a moment that this whole thing had been manufactured and the video had somehow been contrived, et cetera. You would say, what's wrong with you guys? You, you would be furious and pound the table. So I think when they force themselves into that mindset, they lose the ability to say in a kind of tempered way, we really feel for their sacrifice, but nevertheless, there were values on the line. They've so set up this diametrical opposition that they are stuck. Now, how will it play with the country? And I I did separate it out because I think many of us, I don't know if you feel this way, Michael, have found themselves wrong and been surprised and disheartened at the persistence of the um, not just the loyalty to, to Trump, but the kind of adherence to fiction. I nevertheless think this will play really poorly for the GOP. It really does seem very much that not just truth, but virtue is on one side and not just uh, lying, but but shabbiness and, you know, 
the Constitution is sort of in play. So there have been some events. We saw this in the impeachment, especially the first one, where maybe the American people were tuning out and the Republicans could kind of shop the line. Oh, it's just partisan. I do not think that the country as a whole will feel that it's a um, you know idle mission to try to find out what happened and that people in general and on the whole appreciate how grave and serious a transgression of the Constitution and the bedrock principle of peaceful transition of power this was. And of course, there's what, 30% that remain, but it feels to me like it's ebbing by the half percentage point every week. And at some point, it will reach a sort of core minimum and there'll be that sort of background squawking. But I don't see um, the the American people generally coming to um, dismiss all this as politics. They saw it play out. It's riveting. It's understandable. So I, I think they will continue to support the basic idea of finding out what happens. And that means reacting, I think, negatively to this, you know, chest thumping defiance and anger at anyone who tells the truth. So, Harry, we listened to four officers tell their stories about how their lives were put into jeopardy. Take just as an example, Officer Fanon, because actually when he was speaking, my heart was really hurting for him, watching the, the anguish and the pain that you could tell that he had. And then you have somebody like Laura Ingram. You have Fox News making fun of this man's PTSD, making fun of the fact that the man was at the base of the skull tased multiple times, that his firearm was grabbed and they were threatening to kill him until he started to shout out, I have children, hoping to reach some sort of a human level, to reach on some human level to the protesters that had acquired his firearm and so on. And yet somebody like Laura Ingram permitted, permitted and probably, probably, um, lauded by Fox as a as a corporate structure for the statements that she made, besides for making fun, but offering and the award goes to, right? As if this was some sort of an act. Can you imagine? Yeah. No, actually I can't. And I would like to get your opinion in terms of because I'm I presume you probably watched the the hearing as I did. What was your impression as you were watching this? And you brought up a point about loyalty to Donald Trump. Now, I know all about stupid loyalty to Donald Trump. No one knows more about fucking stupid loyalty to right. Trump and what it will cost you. And when I sat before the House Oversight Committee, I warned morons like um, like Jim Jordan or, um, you know, half a dozen Republicans that were sitting there. I know what you're doing. And rest assured, I know it because... I created the playbook, and this is how I used to act, and nothing good is going to come out of it. Now, this loyalty is completely misguided. However, I can understand the loyalty when he was president of the United States. Right now, he's just a fat, old, former guy who's sitting in Mar-a-Lago 
wanting to talk about the glory days, right? It's like the Bill, Bruce Springsteen story. He's trying to talk about the glory days when he was the man in power. Why are they still giving loyalty to him when he's never running? He's never running again. He's going to end up indicted and probably incarcerated or some form of incarceration. He's going to be broke. That's certainly for sure. Where is this loyalty coming from and why? Man, is there a lot in that question, Michael? Let me let me sort of. Harry, you um, didn't think I was going to let you off easy, right? I mean, you are well, Harvard. No, you I, are I, Harvard no, trained. I'm trying to keep it all in my in my mind, well, to to try to you know touch on the different points, and you know, starting with Laura Ingram, whom I've known for many years, whose show I've been on, and she you know did, uh, savaged me. But yeah, it was this incandescent moment. It reminded me, you know, this was a two second, one second thing from Trump, but it was early on and it was this stupefying moment when he mocked the crippled New York Times reporter. It just seemed such a flashpoint of illumination into the basic character of this guy. You know, the the psychological complications are almost imponderable. But when you do get to Fox and I do Fox, I don't do Laura's show much, but I do some Fox within, you know, in the hope that I I can have a reasonable conversation there. The thing that makes it a level more galling is, you know, that it really is contrived and a decision has been made independent of the facts having to do with god knows what you know ratings or popularity but it makes it you know on the verge of despicable all right but so why do people i mean i i'll give the standard answer including the one that i think you know high level politicians have told me um in secret uh and it's certainly no um affection uh, that the people you're talking about again you have to distinguish between the kind of it's always been small. He is, I think, the only president never to have cracked 50 percent, even when he was uh, in office. And and you hear him say things like, you know, but for COVID, if if uh, Lincoln and Washington came back, they couldn't beat me. The standard answer seems right to me. And um, it's fear. And he somehow still retains the power, a very limited power, but a very frightening one for Republicans who are already um, having to, to gauge the razor's edge of minority rule to make a primary challenge and maybe oust people from office. The GOP hasn't only come Trump's way. A lot of people who didn't have now been ousted. So when you see someone like Lindsey Graham just cravenly uh, and with, you know, obvious knowledge of, of the guy that he, that Trump is say, well, this is still Trump's party. It just seems like a crass political uh, calculation asterisk. We could talk about this for an hour. How, you know, at some point are, are they not be, do you do even even politically self-interested law? legislators not have to think about the constitution but you know and asterisk they have decided that he is um still retains that power and another big point i think nobody else does they ha- they they um the other people all of whom they think have to place from somewhat the same hand don't have the 
whatever you'd call it. I mean, you saw it very close up. Demagoguery, shamelessness, maybe a form of charisma to actually embody that role. So they think that for the next year and a half, and that's as long as they're thinking about it, it will remain necessary to kiss his ring. I'm sure as the historical accounts come out, we're going to hear again and again, probably in exaggerated fashion, that they all hated his guts and knew he was a liar from day one, et cetera. And if that's true, then the then the fear hypothesis is as good as I can come up with. But it does seem so short-sighted to me. It uh, you know, it it really does seem to me that they'll that that there will be a time, and we're not ten years, but eighteen months, where the everyone who has worn his stripes will be so thoroughly discredited. But I, I, I don't think they're thinking past that point. And I have been surprised and again and again and proven wrong by the short memory of political life and how people can say one thing one day and another the next and voters generally give them a pass. But Harry, I ask you this question for a specific yeah. reason. We just saw not more than days ago There was a Texas special election where Donald um, backed a candidate, Susan Wright, who ended up losing to Jake Etsy. Right. right? And um, if that is not an indication that his power over the GOP is waning and waning, we're talking about Texas now, right? A certainly red state, um, and yet... The candidate who Donald Trump was backing lost. And that's yep. got to really tell something to the Mark Meadows of the worlds, the Jim Jordans of the worlds, the, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Matt Gates, you know, all of these fucking morons that sit there and want to kiss his fat ass for what reason? Because he helps them to raise money. Is, I mean, well, there is they that. Get- but I would just give two points, Michael. For, you know, the first I, I, I would say, um, is this is not our expertise, yours and mine, and the and the one thing that you know pusillanimous actors that you've just identified do. Maybe they do it in a conservative, craven way, but these are the calculations they do make. That's one, and then the other is nobody in the bullpen. So I, I the one thing it, it look unless they are. It, it always remains the case. I, I say this in a sober, untriumphant um, way, but but you, but your former boss and our former president may be a genuine, certifiable megalomaniac or crazy guy. These others, you know, aren't, and the and they're there's you know they're morally absolute, you know, morally. Uh, Despicable, I think. Again, is not no, too I think strong the right, word. I think the right. But term I just want to say, I don't. I, you know, the one thing they might be right on is the calculation that, you know, there's there's roadkill uh, be in the uh, in in the last couple of years of people who didn't take that position and were brought down by Trump and you know sort of who else is there? It's going to take a sea change for not just Trump but Trumpism to to lose its hold. My best guess is it is waning was the word you use. And I think that's fair. But if you're being a 
take out all morals, all ethics, all dedication to constitution, all sense of history, and think only of your um, prospects for winning again in 2022? Is it irrational to think you've got to kiss the ring? God, I don't know. What, what it really is to me is secondary, tertiary, so, so completely swamped by the, the stakes of constitutional and democratic rule that his essentially fascist approach, you know, it brings to the fore. But, you know, they're not, I don't think all of them are crazy. So these calculations, I, I'm, you know, it's, I, I don't feel I know enough to, to say, you know, they're, they're obviously boneheaded. But that's the least of it. If they're, you know, that it's just no excuse is the bottom line to, to me. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. And we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable... Check out Thursday's incredible episode with Daryl Davis entitled A Black Man's Odyssey in the KKK. It's the story of how Davis got over 200 members of the Klan to hang up their robes and quit the hate group for good. Or the fascinating July 22nd interview with Kevin Kelly, founding editor of Wired Magazine, discussing his new book, The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the July 6th interview with Master Pickpocket, Bob Arno, on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. So search for Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, Harry, let me ask you this. As a former prosecutor, what are the answers that you most want to know during this January 6th committee, this commission, and who would you, who would be your top three individuals that you would want to subpoena to provide that information? Right. Look, as a prosecutor, you always want to go, but you may have, it may take a while. You have to go methodically, but to the top, who is really the moving force. And that means what I want to know is some version of who Trump was consorting with. I mean, look. It's possible other fascist rules have other I, 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 I should I should be a little more careful about flinging around the F word, but other kind of of um, 
leaders of Trump stripe have managed to motivate citizens to do um, illegal or crazed things just by standing up and screaming, you know, George Wallace or Mussolini or whatever. So it's not to me certain that there was any kind of of conspiracy that would be the word with lawmakers and Trump and some of the you know the most reprehensible domestic terrorists in this country if if there were though gosh is that what i would want to know it would be a breathtaking you know uh vile betrayal of the constitution so that's what i would want to know and i think it can be genuinely in doubt there was certainly a little casual consorting and they knew each other, but was it the case? How the hell did they get in there without having the, you know, kind of roadmap? How did they know where the special offices were, et cetera? So that's what I want to know is, and for me, the three uh, people. So who would, you know, Mark Meadows, I think would have a sense of, of that. Trump himself, of course, but that's this kind of final frontier. The very top two or three people among the three uh, percenters or Proud Boys who might literally have had contact with members of uh, congressional offices, Jim Jordan, uh, Kevin McCarthy. I, you know, I, so it, I, this is more than three, but I'm trying to be at the circle of let's assume for a moment that they didn't, that they really were spurred on. And it was, it was a conspiracy that some literally elected people who swore an oath to the constitution helped these people and, and made common purpose with these people to actually um, try to physically use violence to keep the to prevent the, the lawful transfer of power the 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 hallmark of a democracy i want to know every jot and tittle of that so you you and you you work your way up the way at least the united states is doing on the criminal side to you know they're now at a sort of conspirator level and they will reach and are are reaching i think even if it's not been made public the highest level of the terrorists but, you know, then you want to how do you make the bridge to possible legislators, even Trump himself, Trump Jr., Giuliani, et cetera? Was there really that kind of common cause? That's what I want to know. It's scary either way. But if it was actually promoted by, you know, pol- by political officials who swore an oath to the Constitution, you know, it's sort of Civil War stuff. Yeah, the only other person that I would throw into that mixture would be Kushner because he yeah. seemed to have his hands in everything, the secretary of everything and the guy that accomplished nothing. Now, let me ask you this, Harry. Do you believe that the January 6th committee will have the clout to subpoena these major witnesses and actually make them appear? Because we've seen how so many people, when Trump was president, just ignored the subpoenas. I was the only idiot that wasn't subpoenaed, and I ended up showing up, uh, though I was subpoenaed by the Senate Select Committee. Now, without the ability to hear from the most culpable and hold them accountable, what larger goals will the commission still be able to serve? Yeah, so it's a really serious question. Um, you know, Trump Harry, is we out only of office. Ask, Harry, Harry, we only ask. We only we're very sober here on here. Maya, on Maya culpa. The Maya culpa is levity free. Is that right? All right. Well, here let, then. Um, and, and look, we are we are talking about the most serious stuff. So, a few things. 
He's not president anymore, and the Department of Justice just yesterday told all the DOJ employees, and that's a pretty big start, you know, uh, the acting Attorney General Rosen, but remember there was that whole crazy time where he was going to maybe appoint a mid-level bureaucrat to be attorney general. All those people can't invoke executive uh, privilege, point one. Point two, which really should be point one, I think, is what we were talking about before, you know, Lincoln. Um, uh, Public sentiment is, you know, is what matters here. And with it, anything can be accomplished. And without it, Nothing can be. I, as I was saying, you know, a few minutes ago, think the public sentiment will be there. Now, what about this this well-worn playbook of bringing any cockamamie constitutional claim and using it to run out the clock? So there's this terrible disconnect that Congress ought to repair as quickly as it can between, you know, congressional subpoenas and the lawfulness of them and the and the courts, which take forever to go through this. And then literally both the political and even the actual congressional terms have passed them by there. There, there really should be a, a specific provision that lets that whip up all the way to the Supreme Court within a, you know, a month. If anyone's trying to de- to defy a congressional su- uh, subpoena, but the at, at least with the DOJ ruling, they shouldn't be able to invoke executive privilege. Trump will go to the courts for sure, but the right answer ought to be after what the DOJ has said that he ought to be thrown out, and most importantly, in very short order because it's not a he, he doesn't have any power over what's executive privilege. It's already been, and nor do the courts really. So they should be saying very quickly that's been decided and go away. Let's say they don't, because we're going to we're gonna work our way up, and now maybe after Wednesday, some very important actors, such as uh, Mark Meadows or Jeff Rosen or Richard Donahue, should be testifying. But we'll surely reach one who feel, who wants to play the, the Trump, you know, wants to avoid it at all costs, as they were before, and we'll bring it to court. Will everything stop then if it, it's possible, depending on the kind of claim? And if that happens, where will the committee be? They'll have established some really important pockets, sort of islands of the truth, which we desperately need. On the other hand, there's a continent out there, and it's, a, it's an outrage in some ways m- bigger than the outrage of people not having been held to account that we literally don't know everything that happened. You know, in 9-11 or Kennedy assassination or Iran-Contra, there was a national will to find out. And Republicans to date have been able to actually elude what should be an imperative that everybody agrees on. So I can see a slightly disappointing outcome where we learn a lot about certain things, but very little about others. And that would be a shame. It would sort of fall to historians or whatever to try to, to try to write it up. But I think that's the straight answer to your question. Somebody's going to try to the, the playbook of, of running out the clock with a even bogus legal claim. It still could work without a change. And that that will be the kind of stopping point. And then what I think they'll probably do is move over to another area and plumb the depths of it. 
Well, I have actually two ideas that I'd like to share with you and my listeners. The first is, if a member of Congress receives a subpoena, and they defy that subpoena, my feeling is that they should not be permitted in the people's house. They should not be allowed to enter the Capitol. That's just my feeling. You have an obligation to appear. Now, I'm not telling anybody that you still don't have your constitutional rights, that you can invoke the fifth, but you do have to show up for that congressional subpoena. Because if your members of Congress choose not to do it, why should people like myself do it? And if I didn't do it, there wouldn't be 18 open investigations right now. And I truly mean that. Why should I do it if the members of Congress, our elected officials, decide that they themselves have the right to defy a judicial subpoena or a congressional subpoena? And I think that's wrong. And they should be held in contempt on an expedited basis and not permitted entry into the Capitol. That's just my that's just one of my opinions. The other is something which is broken in our DOJ, and that's the entire FOIA office, the Freedom of Information. Um, it is just completely broken. What I would like to see is all of these documents that are out there. If you put in a FOIA request, you're waiting years before which they finally get the file, They finally find the documents. They finally review them for privileged information or for national security purposes. It could take you years to get one single document. And if, in fact, that there's a member of Congress that was working with one of the insurrectionists, gave them floor plans, and there could be a document sitting on some computer or something that they're able to get their hands on, The fact that that's not readily available, I think Merrick Garland needs to fix the whole FOIA office. They need to figure out how to expedite it. All right. So a couple points. And, you know, I do have a little bit of uh, insider or practical experience here on the first point about their having to testify. So, look, I'll start here. They're going some will claim that they are entitled not to. That's wrong. So we do know that there's no legal disability from doing it. Um, That's first. Second, you know, the Michael Cohen feeling is understandable, but you need, of course, a law. It's it's true that if if Jim Jordan says I won't testify, that it makes the next Michael uh, Cohen or um, White House or Harry Harry say, what kind of schmuck am I? All that is is true. Um, And it's also true that essentially the courts will say this is a matter for Congress. They can hold him in uh, contempt, et cetera, that that when Jim Jordan, and I assume it will happen, runs into court, they ought to make quick work of him and say, your your, um, argument is with your colleagues. Go go, uh, take it up with them. Although what the colleagues can do is hold him in contempt and that in some ways will play into the hands of these guys. They, you know, they'll raise funds off it, et cetera. Third point, there is one important uh, legal tool here, I think, Michael, that people haven't um, focused on too much. A, a member of Congress can be and must be under the Constitution disqualified from holding office if he or she has incited an insurrection. Not enough to just not show up. 
uh, for a subpoena. That's going to play out at the congressional level, and that'll be a big mess. But if you're at, if there are actually people who have have um, done uh, the the acts that people suspect they may have. A majority vote of the House is sufficient not to seat them next time. That's down the line. But some people think it could never happen because it has to be two thirds. But they are technically under the Constitution as unqualified to serve as a 34 year old presidential candidate. All right. So that's all the first the first part. I still think it'll play out politically. It'll be a mess. And, you know, people I understand your feeling, but you but you need a law. So now on the second point in FOIA, I just want to say. Look, it is sort of messy. It's a bureaucratic heart of darkness there, but they are it's not. It's not, I think, the kind of caricature that people think a lot of people are at work really hard and they are very earnest about distinguishing between what you can give and what you really shouldn't be able to give like national secrets etc do they err on the side of not giving yeah could Merrick Garland tweak it yeah but the notion that an ordinary you know there are ways that now Congress can subpoena have people testify I think it's impractical to think you could hire 10,000 more people but the kind of inquiry you, that a good FOIA office has to go through means that, you know, they're, they're not going to see the sort of if a FOIA request says, give me this document, then you're right. Somebody should very carefully look at that document. And Harry, I don't mean to interrupt and you. But- and set it up. But it's not that it's always all communications between and that takes a couple years it does and even if you specifically stated as i have in a foia request and i am 100 percent aware what was your actual request what is my request my request was for documents between um at the time it was bill barr uh and any other member uh whether including trump or member of the administration regarding the unconstitutional remand of me uh including michael carvajal we listed out all, all right. the names but, but not but only what's that Harry, not that, only okay. not only not only was this request um introduced by me but there's yeah. a member of congress that sent it as well and the documents that i got was like 52 pages on an expedited basis that yeah. i was given amounted to probably your high school transcript including your lunch menu from elementary school. There's yeah. nothing. So, All right, well, like you I were said, involved in, in uh, you know, maybe you were involved in things that should have exemptions, but I just want to say, even what you said, and by the way, FOIA is a people's law. It shouldn't matter. You know, you doing it should be the same as a member of Congress, but you defined a sort of mountain of things. And let's say they got it wrong and there was stuff out there from bar, there'd be hell to pay later. I just want to say that it's not nefarious or or it's not you know totally bureaucratic there there are legitimate exemptions in foia people call them wrong i'm sure but it's i i think it's just not going to happen if, if, with that law it, that's why you have congressional subpoenas and investigation but that law it's a very powerful law. Just yesterday the Washington Post i think the way it broke everything about um, Trump's harangue to the DOJ, et cetera, was at least included a FOIA request. But to but to make something that takes 18 months to take 18 days, I, I, I don't think is in the cards. Yeah, I think that document was a leaked document, but let's just agree to disagree on that There's point. A, by on the way, Wednesday- there is always that. It's very interesting when other, you know, vehicles fe- fail where the press 
comes in to actually yeah. and that's when we and that's when we really end up learning things if you accept cookies when going to a new website you may want to consider clearing them periodically websites use cookies to collect data from your browsing history not all cookies are bad but if your computer is running slow or you've accepted third party or cookies from an unencrypted website clearing them could be beneficial your private information is more exposed than ever and could leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cyber criminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bankrate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one could prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions of all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. On Wednesday, the DOJ refused to defend Mo Brooks from a lawsuit from Eric Swalwell, claiming that Brooks and other litigants, including... All right, dear old Donald, our former, our former idiot in chief, incited a mob on January 6th. Now, I was hoping that you could explain to my listeners the kind of immunity that Brooks sought and ultimately why he was rejected because it had, it could have ramifications for Trump in other lawsuits. Yeah. I hope I can. It is kind of, it is legal, but I'm, but I, but it's, but I teach con law. So, so here you go. If somebody does uh, something in the course of his duties, including a post office driver who's, you know, doing a route and hits somebody, that's the United States job to to defend. You know, you weren't if, if that post office guy then goes to a bar and gets drunk and beats somebody up. That's not the United States. But if you're really in the course of your employment, this happens with all businesses. The United States uh, defends you, and it really is a case against the United States. That's often a good thing because the United States will pay a lot of money. But the United States is a soft, and, and, and the post uh, delivery might not. But the United States is a sovereign, meaning it gets to decide what it will be liable for and what it won't. And when it comes to guys like Trump or Mo Brooks, the line is the same as with the postal guy. Were they in the scope of their employment? Were they doing the things that the people elected them to do? If they were, I know you're suing Donald Trump, but you're really suing the United States and we'll take care of it. Now, in the in the last time this came up and this gave everyone worry about the Brooks case, it was the defamation suit by Jean Carroll. Jean Carroll says she was sexually assaulted by Trump. Trump, in response to a press question and a few other things, called her a liar, basically, and she sued him for defamation. The question there, the arcane legal question was, when he said that in response to a a member of the press, was he sort of President Donald Trump or, you know, private citizen, nasty Donald Trump? 
And the Trump Justice Department said he was President Donald Trump. That's the kind of thing presidents do. So now we have to defend him. Oh, and here's the wrinkle. We don't, the United States will not, um, uh, is not liable. We are not immune because we haven't agreed to be immune for an intentional tort, as the lawyers say, like defamation. So Jean Carroll is literally out of luck. Uh, not only is she facing the United States, but the United States says you can't sue us for that. Now enter Mo Brooks. He makes a fiery speech January 6th. He wants to say the same thing. I was doing what the people sent me here to do. What's that? Make speeches. The Department of Justice, uh, however, cut the salami a little more thin and said, no, what you were doing was inside or alleged to have done in this lawsuit by Eric Swalwell, who, by the way, is the perfect plaintiff because he got physically beat up by this mm-hmm. stuff. And he says Brooks uh, and others are responsible. You were basically fomenting an insurrection, making this kind of speech. And guess what? The people did not send you to Washington to do that. You were Mo Brooks rabble rouser and and run and re-election candidate not mo brooks doing the people's business passing a budget so the united states doesn't represent you you have to pay for a lawyer you have to sit for a deposition you have to really face the music and you know what you're in trouble including in your pocketbook why does it matter for trump hugely because it's the same thing what he's gonna if he if he uh committed a crime part of it was revving everyone up saying i'll be right with you let's go to the capitol all the stuff he said that's the exact posture that mo brooks was in he the the if if it's true what what the department said about brooks they'll they'll have to say for trump he's not being president there he's being a candidate or he's doing something outside the scope of his duties so we're not going to represent him now maybe as the money to have a lawyer but on the other hand He's the guy who's on the line. He's the guy who has to sit for the deposition. And you you more than most know what a disaster that is. He's really personally responsible. This wasn't him as president. This was him as infidel or whatever. And so that's outside of his duties of government. That sort of as a statement matters in and of itself, it seems to me. The guy down there whipping them into a frenzy is not our president he is a you know basically a political candidate making trouble and it matters practically because it means that he's got to pay which you know better than anyone he hates to do but also um you um uh you know he's he's got to face the music and raise his right hand etc and i think he probably will i think it will proceed to a deposition that swalwell is you know loaded for bear on. Oh, and he sure is. Um, Harry, just keep moving forward here. Many pundits have said that Liz Cheney's bravery in standing up to Trump and the GOP is an act or was an act of political suicide. But me personally, I believe that there is room for a non-insane, brainwashed Republican. And once that this madness subsides, I think that she'll come out of this um, in a better position than these MAGA sycophants. I'm curious, what's your take on all of this? Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I tweet it as much. I say again, you know, on this on this pure political question, what do I know? It's not my expertise, but I agree. This this plague 
has to pass. You know, we have had eras like this in our history, you know, the Know Nothing Party in the 1840s or the Reconstruction folks or the um, the segregationists in the civil rights era, all dedicated and based on a lie. And I, it just seems unstable to me. And part of the reason that I offered for Trump's continuing power when we talked a few minutes ago was the absence of an alternative but there, uh, you know, I agree. I just think you cannot, unless the Republican Party ceases to exist, they can't uh, persist on the basis of a lie. It's got to give way, you know, maybe with a whimper or maybe with a bang. And yeah, I think she stands in good stead as the person who, you know, stood up and acted in a principled way. Ten years ago, she was considered a Cheney you know, a very conservative person. Now, just this simple act of constitutional fidelity and bravery, I think, has put her in this, you know, separate pantheon of people who are, you know, respect the Constitution. And my best guess, again, you know, not expert, just this is Citizen Harry and I think Citizen Michael saying, but like there there should and my best guess is will be a place for her. I, I, I see her as a serious presidential candidate down the line. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Take a look at other, you know, individuals, Republicans like a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio, right? They for a while. I, OK, let's go back to the origins of the Ted Cruz and the Marco Rubio when they were one of the 17 standing on the nomination line that Donald was standing on. And Ted Cruz called him, what was it, a sniveling coward. Marco Rubio called him, I don't know, a little dick or something like yeah, that. Lindsey you know, Graham. Or just a, or, them, yeah. or, or just a fucking dick, whatever he called him. But, you know, I don't, I don't Donald, think it was that, but go ahead. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure. They may have beeped it out. But these guys then came to the other side. They joined Satan, right, in, in, his, in his quest for ultimate power, which is really what he was looking for, to become a dictator, to become an autocrat in this country. And that happens to be, that happens to be accurate. But now all of a sudden, if you notice, where's Ted? And I suspect it's not Cancun, right? Where's little Marco swimming, swimming, doing some cocaine binges in Miami? Where, where, where are they? You don't see a lot of the Republicans that were swirling around Donald over at Mar-a-Lago, yeah, and you see the Mark Meadows. Of course you see Mark Meadows coming to Mar-a-Lago. He wants a free burger and because he's a fucking loser, right? That's just, you see Jim Jordan, another asshole that's out there, right, who should have been prosecuted for turning a blind eye to the University of Ohio wrestlers, these young children, to that pedophilia group. They're, these are the people that are going to continue to swarm around Donald. But you're not going to see serious Republicans like a Liz, like a Liz um, Cheney, like a um, an Adam Kinzinger. You're not going to see people like that who have a backbone. And I think that they're going to be the catalyst to get other Republicans, especially after this Susan Wright loss, I think you're going to start to see people really pull away from him and pull away from the whole Trump crime family. All right. Well, let me first separate myself from that fusillade of characterizations of of a lot of politicians that you know I, that may or, or may not be of, of different degrees of honorableness and and but but try to nevertheless uh, answer your question and just say 
Maybe. Again, we're in an area not of my expertise, but I, I do take your point that the um, voices in, in the, uh, there are a lot of voices that have been quieted, but not all of them. You still see a guy named like Lindsey Graham, who ran for president, who knew him for what he was, who called him out for what he was, who still today, I think, you know, in July of 2021, saying anyone who thinks that there's a way path forward where Trump is not the leader of this party is mistaken. I mean, that's the fight they're having. I assume, I assume they know that uh, the people who are loudly embracing the, the big lie still know that it's uh, wrong and they go backstage and think like, God, how, how long are we going to have to do this? Or are we really forced into it, et cetera? So the, the Republican party to me, again, no expert, strikes me as having kind of lost its way and being in debate over just what you say. Liz Cheney has, you know, staked her case. And I think it was a wise thing and not just wise, courageous, virtuous, etc. But it doesn't seem to me that the party as a whole has accepted the, you know, Michael Cohen predictions of what's happening here. And there's a lot of hedging and even more that is still continuing. Just my, you know, observation as a as a citizen, not not as any kind of expert. Well, they probably should, considering so far I've been right about virtually everything, including the fact that there would not be a peaceful transfer of power if, in fact, Donald Trump lost the election, which I said that he would. Um, but take a guy like Lindsey Graham since you brought him up. You know, Lindsey Graham's biggest problem is Lindsey Graham doesn't understand, you know, when to keep his mouth shut, like the same time that he opened his mouth up to his next door neighbor and got his ass kicked. Right. He's going to he nearly needs to understand that he doesn't have a lock on his, you know, on his um, constituents. And I do really believe that people are getting sick and tired of Donald Trump's bullshit every single day. So Nonsense, maybe I'll, more just, I, I'll just interrupt to say, look, I think your questions by and large are really interesting, important. But the whole political slapdown aspect, you know, maybe I just I you know, I just don't don't know how to characterize the people who are supporting him and either way it's not pretty it's not virtuous but you know i my can't point is, my i point can't is say that they're venal not, and and going to hell yeah well my my point is that it's just not smart politically i that's think the that question. they're creating I, that's the i think question. they're creating political suicide and who the themselves. hell are we but that is the question well Although who, who are we we're just yeah. we're just citizens. We're just citizens exactly. who have a little bit more knowledge about what's really going on on the inside Agreed. than Maybe. the average Joe. We're <laughs> yeah. just trying to yeah. pass it along, you know, to my you know right. to my millions of listeners here. So switch. <laughs> let's enough. switch gears. Let's switch gears okay. for a sec because you look a little uncomfortable there. So no, switching no, 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 gears no. for a moment. I, I, my Mets, Yankees. I, I take it all. I just want to be clear. Where I feel I have um, adding something and where I'm not. That's all. And I'm I'd like to be own. clear, too, that I wish that I can have the opportunity, like the next door neighbor of Lindsey Graham, to slap yeah. him across the side <laughs> of his head. All right. Okay. But let's switch gears for a moment. I, w I would really like <laughs> to whack him one really, one great wow. one right across the side well, of his head. OK, you asked me about the three witnesses. So you have three whacks to administer Michael Cohen. Who Whom are they going to? Donald for sure. Jared for sure. And Lindsey Graham for sure. But Mark Meadows for, you know, for refuting the fact that he's a racist. Yeah. I'd like to slap Jim Jordan across the head, too. But let me switch gears for a second because right, I want to I want to calm myself for a second. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to be a little more zen. 
right? Okay. Um, so all good. I want to talk about the COVID response. And yeah. in a tweet critical of the new CDC mass guidelines, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a real moron, wrote, and I quote, Make no mistake, bringing back masks is not a decision backed by science, but a decision conjured by liberal government officials who want to continue living in a perpetual pandemic state. I mean, if that doesn't just sort of like make your stomach turn, especially if you're one of the 610,000 plus Americans who have a family member that has now been taken as a result of COVID. But in a classic response, you responded, my dear friend, Harry, and I quote, make no mistake, right? Um, (laughs) what, What an odd way to put it by an Orwellian politician whose all political existence now is based on a knowing mistake. Now, I'm hoping that you could unpack what you meant here in terms of the GOP's continued politicization of COVID-19, because I thought your response was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the main thing I meant was the irony of appealing to objective science, which they've been in the process of trashing either expressly or implicitly for over a year with the, you know, in cases where the stakes are so high, you know, this is a little far afield, but what, what makes the truth out in this country where, where lies have been so cheapened and flung around since, you know, Trump took office. One, sometimes we're finding courts where people have to swear under penalty of perjury, all the January 6th people coming in and and disavowing the big lie. But the other is hard facts like people dying. And you do see now Republican politicians saying, you know, changing their tune dramatically, you know, because the it's it's a terrible thing. But 99 percent of all fatalities are unvaccinated people and they're almost all in red states. So, you know, science has always mattered, but it's clearly matters now where the people who have put themselves on the other side of things are, you know, really on the, you know are facing uh facing uh people who are dying because of these beliefs so i just found it like mccarthy now is basically you know orwellian maybe that's a little uh, highfalutin but it's you know 1984 truth is uh, fiction is is uh, knowledge truth is, is ignorance you know it was just this guy whose whole um platform such as it is is based on denying objectivity, denying science where it comes to COVID, for him to say it's not a decision backed by science. That's wrong on the facts, but that he's invoking science struck me as, you know, odd and ironic. So that that was what prompted that tweet. Harry, he's the minority leader. He, That's right. He is the head of the Republican Party as it That's relates right. to Congress. He does not have the right to make a statement like that. He does not have the right to claim, as our former idiot-in-chief did, that science isn't real, that this pandemic isn't real. 610,000-plus people, Americans, will not be sitting at dinner tables with their families because Donald J. Trump did not believe that the pandemic was real. But you know what I find the most ironic well, didn't believe of all of or this? For whatever reason. He doesn't have the right, but of course the remedy we're finding again and again is political. 
you know, he has the, the you know, he, he asserts the right, so he takes the right, and then it really comes down again and again. The courts help, science helps, but it comes down again and again to the popular response and public sentiment, and you and I hope, uh, agree with maybe a, lot, a little bit of hope mixed in that pe- it's, it's going away from him, not towards him. It's completely irresponsible which is yeah. exactly what the Republican Party has started to behave like since Donald Trump took office. But what I find I the most ironic thing is the fact that Trump, who claims that only because of him, and he certainly had a part into it, that there is right now a vaccine. It's funny that his followers believe that the vaccine that he was responsible for helping to create, if not create himself because he's entitled to the Nobel Peace Prize for Operation Warp Speed, believe that the vaccine is really a uh, a trick by government in order to pollute your body with some sort of, you know, microchips inside of a vaccine that's going to be able to take over your brainwaves and to track you and all this other stuff. So the guy that they support who created in his mind the vaccination, refused to do a public service announcement like Presidents Obama, Bush, and Clinton, right, absolutely did. These are the same people that are denying the value of the vaccine that Trump was so instrumental in creating. It's just ironic. It's very 1984. Well, I mean, here it's more than ironic. You know, it's deeply tragic. And I do want to say I'm, you know, I'm politically nonpartisan, but man, did the Biden team hit the ground running. Ron Klain, chief of staff, had been, you know, a czar in circumstances before. And the and the rollout of vaccine, you know, it's been super impressive. But again, I just want to point to, you know, what as the general matter, we're agreeing, I think, on on much of what's what ails the country, and then if and if it's you know a deep dishonesty, what can dislodge it? You know, public sentiment is the best and most important. But what's happening here? It to make to make all these Republican leaders say get vaccinated. You know, people are dying. It's terrible. 250 a, a day and 99% are unvaccinated. And why are they unvaccinated? There are some people who just, you know, were scattered, didn't get organized about it, actually are worried for other reasons. But so many of them have this completely benighted, uh, you know, view that it's somehow like tied up with personal liberty. We get vaccinated for everything. We say that we have been for a smallpox, whatever, to travel. And, and it's it's just seems so deeply muddled. And the stakes are real now. They're, you know, life and death, much less than they were before, but they're life and death. So I agree with you. It's the height of irresponsibility for a politician to continue to, um, you know, fan the flames of staying away from science. And again, another reason why this tweet was seemed so... Um, uh, perverse to me. So, Harry, you know, as I said to you, the hour goes by quick. I have one last oh, question one for you. Yep. Yeah, it goes Shoot. very, very quick, you know, in a spirited conversation. Several. So as we wrapping it up several days ago, I dedicated an entire episode to the Tom Barrick investigation, breaking right. down his alleged crimes, as well as his myriad of entanglements and corrupt alliances. Now, here's a man who, through his personal relationship with President Trump at the time, was able to bypass 
all of our regulatory safeguards to basically dictate our Middle Eastern foreign policy. Now, of course, that's along with Jared Kushner, so that it benefited the UAE and Saudi Arabia. But he was not the only person acting at the behest of a foreign power. Now, in the White House, it seems that there were a dozen a dozen Tom Barracks with different agendas representing different foreign entities and all doing the same thing and making it appear that our entire foreign policy was for sale to the highest bidder. The question that I'd like to ask of you is, was he just a useful idiot in all of this? And I'm talking about Donald. Or was he a willing participant? Discuss this with me. Right. Such an important question. You know, when I think about it, I think about the people who were close to him, and you're among them, Michael, or also, you know, uh, uh, Alan uh, Weisselberg, you know, Jennifer, his daughter-in-law, who say sometimes he seems pretty removed and and other and but you and others have said he's really on top of things. I'll say this at a minimum. What what matters to me about Barrick in terms of the you know historical or even present day judgment of Trump is this guy has known him forever, right? They came they come up in the eighties, uh, New York real estate world. He calls him Donnie. You know the the rogues gallery that we've seen in the last few years. A lot of them came about during the campaign, right? You know, you know Manafort and um, the, that you know that whole crew, but. I think Barrick speaks a lot as to the kind of guy Trump uh, is. And this is far from beyond a reasonable doubt or prosecutor stuff, but just kind of surmise. I think a guy like him doesn't do this sort of, you know, profiting maybe to the tune of $1.5 billion unless at a minimum – he thinks Trump wouldn't mind. He doesn't put his whole relationship on the line that if Trump finds out, he says, you know, you're dead to me, uh, Tom. So, um, I, you know, whether whether Trump was like, you know, championing his cronies to say now's your chance to go to these very, you know, they're all going to these sort of foreigners. They're, it's It's an irony about Trump that he's never sort of in the in the real top crowd that he wants to be in of, of, uh, you know, American real estate barons working in America. His, his friends are all sort of far afield in these exotic countries, but you know, whether he says, all right, everyone go crazy and raid the treasury and we don't care about us policy or whether they knew him well enough to think that that would be okay by him, that the, that the thing he wasn't thinking about, and this I think is the moral, uh, the bigger moral, Whoever was being acted for was not in the interest. It was specifically against the interests of the American people. A guy like Barrick has to at least think that's going to be okay with with Donnie. That's as far as I could go on the kind of uh, crony versus stooge question. But that's a big part of what's up with Barrick. Everyone says, oh, he's rich. He'll go to trial, et cetera. But he's also, I think it's 73. He is looking in real time. He's not been accused of the whole fuse a lot of things you said, but what he has been accused of is enough for a real jail term. You know, maybe he has stuff to to say about just this very question that would have to do with a criminal uh, investigation of of Trump. So I'll say at a minimum, uh, we're in between these two ugly choices where a guy like Barrick reasonably thinks 
this is going to be okay with Donnie if he finds out. And that's in and of itself quite an indictment, even if not a, you know, flagrant impeachable offense or crime. Well, I think you're going to find that Barrick is kind of the center stone for mm-hmm. what's going to be a multitude of new indictments and new cases brought against a slew of people. Because remember, now, first of all, I want to begin by saying this. Bear, to you. I should just say he's in the Eastern District of New York. I did. I forget what 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 office handled your case. But Southern Mueller, District. Southern. All right, but Mueller kicked him out to the Eastern, and it's possible. Yeah, there are there are you know other suspects there, and that's a whole important dynamic that your listeners probably know about by now. Whether it's being handled in a U.S. Attorney's Office or Maine Justice. So what I was going to say to you is, you do have to. If you read my book, Disloyal, something that you find out and I talk about, Trump has no friends. He actually has no interpersonal relationships. Everything is transactional. Everything in his life is transactional from his wives to even his children. Now, if you continue down the road and you see the relationships that Barrick had fostered, Right early on, and this is right after the uh, election, he became the head of the presidential inaugural committee. Right. Who was his co-chair in it? Jared Kushner, who was also working with the Middle East when they went to Riyadh in order to go um, raise two hundred and fifty billion for Donald Trump's infrastructure fund bill. That you, you may remember that he was raising and he went on television. I just raised 250 billion in infrastructure. I'm going to do the same with China and I'm going to do the same with Japan and I'm going to give it, you know, to Wall Street and they're going to do a multiple. So we'll have a 10 times multiple. He didn't know what he's talking about of seven and a half trillion dollars to invest and make everything new. And that's what I do. I'm a builder. But remember something also. When Jamal Khashoggi was murdered in Turkey, who was the first call that Mohammed bin Salman made to? And that was Jared Kushner. That's the only person he wanted to speak. So I think that Barrick, who's going to want to save his ass from, as you rightfully stated, a very significant prison time for a 73, 74-year-old man, I think that there are a lot of people Above him, and as you know, as a former, you know, as a former prosecutor there, uh, that you always want to go up. You don't want to go down the chain. They're not going to go after, right, the, the boss, uh, and take, you know, some petty officer. You, you know what I mean? So I do. And, um, and you have a sense. There's no doubt that Jared Kushner say is above. And I can, I can see from many of your questions. Michael, that you think he is really uh, has, you know, justice hasn't been meted out to him. I don't have any opinion about him. It is interesting that he's, you know, hasn't been, hasn't figured very much in the, you know, investigations to, to date. I don't, I don't know what kind of guy he is and don't want to uh, opine, but I, I, it doesn't, surprise me to hear your opinion and i think it just would have to be true that there are other shoes to to drop and um, hey, harry, now, last again, question. harry last question yeah. for you shoot you think you think jared kushner is a cooperating witness which is why that you don't see these investigations pending against him no interesting okay <laughs> and i will i just i, will, I think, let's I think, just say I that think we would, I, will. I think we would know fair question but i think we would know it's been a long time too well, Harry, let me thank you so much uh, for the conversation. For let me, me thank you for your opinions and your insight. 
Uh, hope to see you again very soon, my friend. Thank you. Thanks very much, Michael. And now for today's mea culpa. For those who had any doubt that Donald Trump did not incite the January 6th riots, I hope that the notes taken by Richard P. Donahue open up the door for Trump to truly be investigated and convicted for sedition and treason. The notes are receipts for Trump acting on his most unhinged and baseless convictions that the election was fraudulent, that he then would enlist the aid of a group of rogue congressmen in the hopes of overthrowing or overturning the election is mind-blowing. January 6th wasn't a spontaneous outpouring of MAGA rage. It was planned to disrupt the certification of the election. Trump wanted maximum pressure placed on these electors and Vice President Mike Pence. He was aided and abetted by Jim Jordan, Ron Johnson, and a host of fucking sycophants. People need to be held accountable. Enough is enough. With these notes a smoking gun, the subpoenas better start flying and these people need to be forced to comply. It's right here in front of all of our faces. There is evidence of a crime. We need to have the political will and conviction to put these guys away. A lot of people have sacrificed everything to get to where we are. It's time to give them the respect that they deserve. Deliver some accountability and stop the madness. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe, Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more, all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.